The Irish are a nation of storytellers. Our stories are embedded in us and in our landscape. Welcome to Tales and Trails podcast in partnership with Discover Ireland. A brand new and immersive audio experience that invites you to walk the Irish countryside with us. Today I'll be joined by Irish Olympian Sonia O'Sullivan. Sonia, how are you? I'm good, yeah. You looking forward to this? I really am, I love exploring new trails. Sonia has a special place in Irish hearts. Many Irish households will remember gathering around the TV almost 20 years ago to watch Sonia stride towards Olympic silver. One of our greatest athletes of all time, Sonia brought the nation together in shared celebration countless times. Today, Sonia is enjoying family life in Melbourne, Australia, but still manages to get home every chance she gets. Sonia and I will take on the Mangan Loop in Tinnahili, County Wicklow, a five kilometre loop trail that takes around 90 minutes to complete. Tinnahili is a small village, nestled in the Derry River Valley in the southern reaches of the Wicklow Mountains. One of the greatest things about Tinnahili's walking trails is the scope for variety in the routes you can take, offering a walking experience for all levels and abilities. The official trailhead is about a 1.5 kilometre walk up Mangan's Lane from the GAA car park below. From the trailhead you can choose from three loop trails, all of varying lengths and difficulty levels. Our choice, Mangan's Loop, is the gentlest of three, but there are some steep ascents, so a good pair of walking or hiking boots are essential. Make sure to visit the Tales and Trails hub on loveon.e to plan your short break in Ireland's ancient east, where we've highlighted some accommodation, the best restaurants and things to do in the area. In Australia at the moment it's, um, oh, it's winter, this season, so yeah. it's um, we're kind of like bang smack in the middle of cold winter. And people don't believe how cold it gets. Yeah, yeah, like we get close to zero. What? Yeah. I would never have thought yeah. that anyway yeah. for yeah. a fact. And anything below 10, it feels colder than it. Like if I said to you it was 10 degrees, you'd say, oh, that's grand. But it feels colder. It's really strange. That is, why does it feel colder? Like you have to go there to, to, experience. to experience it and to understand it because people just don't get that feeling. And probably because people are not really prepared for the cold weather. Yeah, well, I'm happy with this kind of climate. <laughs> oh, we this have is at the fantastic. Moment. It's great. If the sun comes back out, we're going to be laughing for this trail. Because you're away in Australia at the moment, do you, what do you miss about Ireland? Um, well, I think I come back enough that I don't miss, I don't get to miss it too much, you know. So I think um, now when I come back, I I come back to do different jobs and projects and things. But then I also try and fit in a few days for myself. And so if I have to go somewhere, like even coming down here now, um, and stay, I stayed last night, and it was over the border in Wexford. And, you know, I'm looking for, okay, where can I go for a run? And in the hotel, they're trying to tell me, oh, you can just run out the road here. There's a nice path. And I said, beside the road. And I'm like, oh, no, no. I mean, like, off the road, in a trail. You want to go exploring. A park or something. And so then as soon as I have a kind of a clue that there's somewhere nice I can go, it only needs to be 1K or 2K. And I'm quite happy to go. And you just put the head down and go out and go explore. Where'd you go exploring this morning? So I was in um, Court Town. So I actually went last night for a recce first to make sure. <laughs> I didn't want to try because I had limited time this morning before I came over to walk over here in Tinnahilly. And um, so I wanted to make sure it was okay. And it was the most beautiful beach down there. It was there? Oh, fantastic. And you went for a swim? I did, yeah. Lovely I went wet. for a quick dip. I stood there for a long time debating about it. <laughs> I would be the exact same. I probably really, wouldn't have got it in. It really wasn't that cold. And um, only last week I was in Lake Michigan. And it was one of those, I'd never been there before, in just on the edge of Chicago. And it just looked like, the, it was, of course, it was much warmer over there in the sunshine. Well, I'm and after going for a run, you're absolutely sweating. Um, so it was no problem to jump in, but it gave you that tingling because 
icy water, I think, was just warming up, you know, as they were kind of getting into summer over there. And today, were you like toe in, shin <coughs> in, or did you just go oh, straight no, in? Oh no, I marched straight in. I can go straight in up to my waist, no problem. Um, but then it's the putting your head on. Yeah. That's the key. <laughs> well, I think I'm that's the most effective thing as well, you know. It kind of gives you that real wake up and, you know. It, 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 it shocks it you just, into life. It does, it shocks your whole system. Um, and you cool down, it takes a bit of warming up then during the day. Are you feeling a bit chilly now? Um, no, I'm grand now. Right. But I'm probably wearing a bit more clothes than most than people me. here today, yeah. <laughs> so we'll just have to come into the turnstiles there. Um, and we've got a bit of an open in front of us. So this is probably the proper start of the open walk that we're going to have on our hands here today. Um, it's, so a good, it's a good wide trail, you could, you could go for a run here now, I'd be happy enough to go for a run here. Can we not? Because I don't want to get embarrassed, <laughs> not today. Not you've, today. Ta you've taken your sweatshirt off now. Yeah, so I, you, I was stretching okay? it all before you came out, I want to take this on. <laughs> Are you okay? I've been for my run already today. So you're, what, what you're trying to say is that I have a chance of beating you? Yeah, downhill, we'll run down. <laughs> we'll see how it, it looks goes. Like, it looks like we're heading uphill here now. Yeah, that's on the strength, uphill is my strength. <laughs> yeah. uh, you were actually telling me about these purple flowers a minute ago, what, what did you say they were called? So these are um, foxgloves. I, I remember them from, you know, as a child, you know, just being around out, I suppose, in the country lanes in Cove. And a lot of them now, you wouldn't see as many as this now, I think, because, There's a few because the traffic yeah. has increased more, but now they were kind of off the road. And uh, and you were surprised, you said, why is why that? Why is it foxgloves? Yeah, I want to know, is that official name or have you just made that up to treat no, me? I, well, they, they probably have some... Um, Fancy scientific name. Some kind of a, um, a name by the... Um, horticulture is probably has a different name from, but uh, probably foxglove is nice, and um, I just imagined the fox might put his, his ease behind there. <laughs> Not sure they'd warm him up. But, when he's uh, chilly, he's gonna put yeah. his little foxgloves on his little purple foxgloves and trot around the place. Yeah. They're nice anyway, and it's bright. Oh, and they're beautiful, yeah. There's, yeah there's, there's a lot of ferns up here, isn't there? Yeah, there's loads of ferns. So there's a lot of green, so it's nice to see those foxgloves. <laughs> I was gonna say there's something flying. <laughs> There's a windmill peeking over the distance on the right-hand side here, and Sonny's have to get a bit of a fright. <laughs> but it's okay. I think there's a few of them over that way. There's a few of them in the, the natural environment these days, isn't there? Yeah, which is great to see. Um, so you mentioned growing up in Cove there. What was that like? Um, so, yeah, it was great. Like, we used to just go out and a lot of exploring, a lot of, um, you know, just... I, we were, cl were close to the, the, the sea, and... Um, you know, we would call it a beach, but um, it's a strand. <laughs> it's a stony beach. Um, but that was all we knew when we were growing up. Uh, sometimes we would take a bit of a, a day trip to White Bay, which is down there past Middleton. Um, but in Cove, you know, in the summertime, I just remember going swimming in the sea all really? the time. And, just getting yeah, out. Just getting out and, you know, going with my friends. On, we used to go for bike rides and pack a picnic. And, you know, we, we, the big thing, I was in the Girl Guides for a while. So once we knew how to, you know, have a campfire and cook out, you know, that was a real adventure to do that. And it was only things like beans and sausages. <laughs> but we, we thought we were being very exotic. And um, You were set up, though. Uh, we it means you could idle by yourself. It. Yeah, it was, it was fantastic, yeah. And uh, what, were you, what were you like as a child? Were you, like, good in school? Or were you academic? Were you more into the sports? Obviously, in um, some ways, definitely. <laughs> yeah, in some ways, yeah. I mean, I think I was pretty good. Academically, yeah, I used to lock myself away in my room and uh, <laughs> study hard, so I was a, a bit intense on that, and it was all kind of self, you know, brought on. It wasn't forced upon me by anybody, um, but I used to, like, immediately after school, I would go training um, for about an hour, and then I would come home, and I would normally be late for dinner, because dinner was always at five o'clock. <laughs> 
So I was always a bit late, so my dinner would be in the oven and my hands would be freezing in the wintertime. And I used to love to get the hot plate to warm my hands up. (laughs) And and it's amazing, I don't know if because of that, my hands are still get so cold. You know, just any little bit of cold weather or, you know, just jumping in the sea. They're gone. Fingers will be cold and it'll take a long time to warm them up. That's absolutely hilarious. Are they cold now? No, I'm grand now. Once I'm warm, I'm warm, but once I'm cold, I'm cold as well. And when did you first get into running then? So I did a little bit in primary school, not much, just things like community games and um, what else would it be? Yeah, mostly community games and a little bit in the athletics club, but the focus would have been a lot on like sprints and long jump and things that I wasn't very good at. Like I, I wouldn't make a relay team or anything <laughs> like that. Um, and then probably when I was 12 or 13, so just finishing primary school and heading into secondary school, I was at co-vocational school and um, I ran cross country for the first time. And I couldn't believe it, this is <laughs> great. I was actually for a run in Cove. Um, we used to have a charity. Sorry, so it's gonna take this right here, the first right that we get, and it's kind of following the trails. We're getting the trails. Bit, um, yeah, steeper here, we're right? Getting, we're getting steeper. <laughs> here, so we sound like we're out the, of breath. The shortness of breath is just on its way. Just here. <laughs> Sorry, <clears throat> you did your first cross country. So first cross country was when I was in secondary school. And I won the counties and the monsters, and at that time, that was the furthest you could go, you know. And I was thinking, oh, I'm the best in monster. I want to go to the All Irelands, but I had to wait for the following year to do that. For a certain age. Um, yeah, I think under 14 only did um, up to monster level. And, uh, and were you tra- like, did you train much before that cross country? Or was it just like I'm going to do this um, after a bit of running, and then you just were unbelievable? Well, at it. the club in Cove, it was Ballymore Cove Athletic Club, and. A group of my friends, we used to go there and it was a big social thing, you know, we'd just go there and you'd run around. I just, I always remember training in the dark, so it must have been in the winter time. And we have a, a field at the school and there was a track around it, but the track was made of road. Okay. But wow. we always referred to it as the track. Track. And it's about 600 metres around. <laughs> it's a little bit less, I think. And that was where people just came and ran and... You know, this was in, what must have been in the 80s. And, you know, to have a track in a town like Cove was amazing. Even if it was a road track. <laughs> it was seen as this fantastic It was a track, thing. that's all that mattered. Yeah. So we did. We used to go there and you would do laps and laps. And, you know, I, I do remember even being there sometimes. And be, you'd be getting competitive with your friends. And, you know, to who would do more laps. And, you know, you might get in a fight with someone because you did more laps. <laughs> and you were supposed to stop. <laughs> <laughs> he just wanted this to race do, is never ending. He wanted to do a few more laps, and um, there was lights around the track, and we used to run around, and the coach would be watching. And he was quite young, and Pat O'Halloran was his name, and he used to do the long jump and the sprint, so he was quite athletic himself. But he used to encourage all of us to come along, and we were only you know, 14, 13, 14 years old, and um, so we'd be, we were doing 10 laps. You could go down the back of the track. And you would be out of sight. So some of us, you'd have a rest down there. <laughs> you might go for a walk. And then come up the other side and then you'd start running as you're coming Start running again. <laughs> when like you were coming into the light. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it wasn't a flat track either. It was a bit of a hill at the back. And it, like you, even now, people still debate, you know, which way is faster, which way is more of a hill in it. <laughs> and it's just a gradual slope. But if you're out there running around for long enough, then... Is it still it there, this track? Oh, yes, yeah. In the same yeah. shape as you left it? <laughs> 
it's in the same shape, <laughs> but um, it now hosts um, a junior park run every Sunday morning. And it's been going for over a year, which is very popular. Uh, when I was running there, you used to also be able to add on an extra little bit um, around of the back of the did. school. <laughs> and down there was a kind of a, about 10 trees. <laughs> I used to call it the woods. <laughs> but now there's a whole lot of houses down there. So um, I used to try and just kind of make the lap a little bit longer so that you didn't have to do as many laps. <laughs> and, Love you know, those that, tactics. <laughs> you said you uh, won the monsters and stuff like that, but when did you realise... Like, you obviously realise you were good then by winning that, but when did you realise, like, oh, right, I'm kind of really good at this, and this is what I want to do? Um, well, I think when a couple of years when I was young, on the track, I didn't go to the national championships because we were off on summer holidays, you know. Going off As to you do. The Isle of Man or <laughs> somewhere like that. And um, and I used to always be, like, going mad that I missed it, you know. I'd love, because I used to, used to do the walk and everything, so you could get in the back door on the walk and, and you'd see the results and you'd be thinking, oh, I could have got a medal or I could have won that. So when I was under 15, I got to go to the Nationals in Dublin and I ran the 800 and the 1500 and I finished second in both. And there would have been no expectation of that at all. It would have been a surprise for me and for everybody else as well. So I think when that happened, then I kind of thought, oh, I need to get a, a proper coach now. And I just kind of felt that I needed to do a bit more and have a bit more structure and someone kind of telling me what to do. So before they had no structure then after the Well, it was just a kind of young club, yeah, you know, was, and we got together as a group and it was a bit of fun. And But I just felt like I had achieved a lot from a little training. And maybe if you did a bit more training... Who knows maybe, where it could go. Yeah. <laughs> and so those next few years are probably pretty intense. Uh, starting to train a lot more. Is there anything that you you feel like you missed out on, like socially, like when people go into different events or holidays together, and you felt like you couldn't do it because you're training so hard? Was that the case? Um, not really. No. no you, I mean, I think I do... I got a taste of everything and like going to discos and things like that. You know, as so we did. You didn't feel like you missed um, out on much. No, I I went to a few and I I I didn't enjoy it as much as I enjoyed running and you know that that feeling you get when you win a race or you get to go away somewhere. Like even going to Dublin or going to, um, if you go on a, a team, we used to go to Wales sometimes or a couple of teams to, I think we went to Scotland one time with all these schools, international teams. And um, you used to just have so much fun there and you could combine the running and it was always a bit of a party or, you know, a social thing after the event that, I don't know, I must have kind of then realised that if you earn the reward, it's much more satisfying than, you know, if you just go out. A simple night yeah. out. Like, like I would never look forward to going anywhere <laughs> unless I'd kind of put in a bit of effort and earned it first. Could get something back out of yeah, it at the end. Yeah. What were those trips like with your, with the clubs that you went over to, like, say, Wales um, and stuff like that? Well, when we did that, we would, it would be on with the Irish team and, um, oh, it was always so exciting. We often went on the boat and, um, you know, it was a, a, a big adventure and you went, your parents didn't go. Nowadays all the parents turn up. Like, I know, because when my daughter goes away, I'm always tracking her. <laughs> but when I, you know, back when I was her age, you went off and you got up to all sorts of mischief. And, <laughs> I, can, uh, <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, even, like, community games in Mosney was a great adventure. And that was, was it, under 14, I think, the first time? Under 12, under 14, under 16. And that was a great adventure. You were kind of living in a holiday camp. You know, there was people looking after you, but 
you know, you were in there with your friends and other athletes and, you know, stuff like that. It's so it was just great crack all together, yeah, yeah, like, the whole thing. Fun, yeah. And then obviously <clears throat> progressing a little bit further, started to do some pretty big things. What do you, what, what's your biggest achievement? In um, your head, maybe, not, maybe it's not the same as what everyone thinks. Biggest achievement? Well, I suppose everybody, you're always trying to win an Olympic medal is yeah. the biggest thing. So, you know, no, even though any races I've won or medals I've won, records I've broken, they would all be, have a, their own special meaning and, you know, they'd all be up there. But the Olympic medal, I think, because it's one of those that it can be a bit elusive to get them. They're fairly rare. Gold. And uh, especially in Ireland, they're really <laughs> rare. Um, so, you know, I think to finally achieve that, um, you know, I definitely was, you know, felt satisfied, you know. What, um, did you get that feeling when you had it? When um, your hand was it like, I've, I've done it now, was it? Yeah, I mean, it was, and I didn't really allow myself to kind of, you know, be annoyed that I didn't win. You know, I just felt that before the race, this was, it was my third Olympics in Sydney, and um, so I finished fourth in Barcelona in 1992, yeah. and then I didn't finish at all in 96, and so this was kind of like the third chance, and you kind of think, okay, third time lucky. Um, you know, I've got to get a good result here, and it's got to be a result that I'm happy with, and the most important thing really is that I walk off the track knowing that I've done everything I possibly could to get the best result I could today, you know, on that, on that night and um, not, not have any regrets afterwards. So that's why, you know, often you'll see people who don't win and they'll be annoyed at that. And sometimes I kind of think, well, why wasn't I annoyed about that? Why, wasn't it, why didn't it bother me? And I, I think because I felt that on the night, maybe I could have done things a little bit differently, but then maybe the result wouldn't have been a better result. You know, maybe I just, you have to deal with the cards you're dealt with and, you know, get the best result you can with that. And it was an amazing time, even I remember it. Uh, you said you had, like, say the first Olympics, you finished fourth and the second one you didn't finish. How did you mentally prepare for the third one after not finishing the one before that? Like, was there a certain process that you had to go through to kind of really um, just make sure? Well, there was a whole four years and I think in 97, I was trying really hard to make up for it. And um, so I got a few resu results. I was second in the indoors. And we won a bronze medal at the World Cross Country. Um, but I wasn't happy with those results, even though they were great. I just felt like it wasn't quite what I was used to or what I was capable of. So I had to take a step back and start all over again and kind of forget about everything that went be so before. So fresh start, basically. Fresh start, and it was kind of like, uh, you know, um, as you say, um, BA and AA, <laughs> so it was like before Atlanta and after Atlanta. <laughs> and um, so the after Atlanta was a whole new me, it was a new coach, it was a new structure, and every run had a purpose. So before I was out there and I was kind of bashing out every run as fast as I could. Everyone loves short breaks, but to really experience a place, you have to get out there. A walk helps you clear your head and truly connect with where you are. Whether you're wandering, rambling or hiking, walking makes your break. Make sure to visit the Tales and Trails Hub in partnership with Discover Ireland on Lovin.ie, where you'll find inspiration for your next walking break in Ireland. After you've passed through the first turnstile, roughly 15 minutes into your ascent from the trailhead, you'll notice a memorial cross to the right. 
that marks the spot where a local medic was killed in a hunting accident in 1916. This is a good spot to stop and take in the views of the lush green open hillside before you continue along the stony track and continue your ascent. So completely fresh now. I just want to point out that's uh, a memorial. Um, you'd nearly miss it. So when you come to the turnstiles, make sure you look right if you listen to the podcast. And then after it, obviously, there's spectacular views of all the green and all the farmland. See a few tractors down there. It's just breathtaking, isn't it? It's fantastic here. And we're about to go downhill as well, so you can take a rest. And yeah. then, uh, enjoy <laughs> it actually the is a lovely floor, place for yeah. a little rest. Yeah. Just taking the views. So you said there you had to kind of start again and build back up. Yeah, which... so it was like a new beginning. And um, because I think what I was trying to do was I was trying to do everything the same as I was doing before. And you know, you'd have your training diaries. You write down all your sessions and your runs and you'd have the times and different things I had done and just trying to compare you know what I had done last year but it didn't work the year before so why was I trying to do the same thing again so it made sense um, to stop and start again at, at the end of 97 I ran in the world championships in Athens and I didn't qualify for the final and um, you know I never imagined that I wouldn't qualify. make a final um, you know because it was always so easy before that and my coach Alan Story he said to me he said you just need to take a break and um, you know we start again and he said what's what's really important to you and what do you want to do and I said well the world cross country you know I said I've always wanted to run well in that and I've run okay I've finished seventh a few times and we've won uh, a medal with the Irish team but I think individually I think that's something I could do and cross country is not a very measured thing it's kind of it's like being out here you know mm-hmm. in a park or a you know walk like this and there's kind of markers set out and you run around and the distance is approximate and you know the time is irrelevant because you're going up and downhill so it's not a smooth surface like the track so you really just have to get yourself fit and then you run this race and you just keep up and you know you try, to try and keep, <laughs> keep up for as long as you can and the world cross country was in 1998 and so in a way I think that's probably one of my biggest achievements will be the World Cross Country Come in back 98. after such a big setback yeah, the year before. Yeah, to be able to come back. The setback in 96, trying to make up for it in 97, didn't really work out. Um, it looks like you're kind of on a downhill slope and then you have to stop and take a breath and then start again and kind of really go with renewed energy, I think, and a, a different focus and approach it a bit differently. And my training was different. Um, I was a bit more relaxed about it, my coach was a bit more relaxed about it, so the result didn't mean as much to him as you know it had in the past. Um, he just wanted me to be happy and to you know to, to feel good running again because that's the the worst thing is that you know if you're a sports person that you get to a point where you don't enjoy doing what you used to enjoy doing and what it's a got you there in the, in the in the first place. So I think for anyone who's you know having difficulty kind of living up to the expectations or the um, kind of high standards that they set themselves or that others might expect of them, you know, you, you have to kind of go back to the basics and do things at a very low level and think about, you know, what made you enjoy this in the first place? Why, why do you do this? And I remember, you know, there was times, you know, down through the years where you go through ups and downs like that and one time this a sports psychologist in Teddington in the UK she said to me she said well just go to the park that you enjoy running in the most and don't worry about your watch just go out there and run around for a lap and come back and 
and enjoy know, it again. Just enjoy it for what it is rather than, you know, trying to get something numbers and, you know, times out of it. Just go back to base of what yeah, you started. Yeah. And forget the, 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 the measurements and the comparisons of what you've done before can be, you know, the hardest thing to, to overcome so that you can progress and, you know, accept where you're at now and, you know, enjoy it for, for what it is. Was that something you found disc uh, difficult? Other people's expectations? Um, or was it your own expectations? <laughs> I'd say it was mostly my own expectations, but then at the same time you do feel that people are watching you and, you know, they're asking you questions and you have to kind of come up with the answers. And, you know, the easiest way to come up with the answers is to go out and run a race and to win the race. And then the, the answers are easy and the questions are easy. But when that doesn't happen, then you're made to think about things a little bit more. And so then I think sometimes you can think about things a little bit too much and, you know, maybe it's probably not as bad a result as you think it is often. Um, but you, if you dwell on it too much, it then you can kind of, you know, you, you knock yourself down too much and then it's harder to, to get back up again. And, then that, and that's obviously, you're in the eyes of so many as well when you get to a certain stage of your career. Like I was only thinking about this recently that like the Olympics was only a thing in my house because of yourself. Like I remember, I think it was 2000, the race. Ram, uh, like all cramming into my mum's room to watch the race and my dad was like screaming down the house <laughs> <laughs> was fame something you thought or being in the public eye something you thought of when you were running um not really no i often forgot about it i think it was it was easier in a way because there was you know there was a lot less social media we were just kind of entering into the digital age and you know we just about had mobile phones and text messages and like i can remember in 1998 the very first time I ever sent a text message. And it was in Budapest. Some people are going to be shocked to be hearing this. <laughs> it was in Budapest. So that's only like 11 years ago, isn't it? No. Yeah. 2000, 1998. 21. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was good at maths. Can you cut that out? <laughs> I, was, I was like, it's Sonia Sullivan. She must be right. I was doubting myself. I was like, no, nah, she can't be wrong. <laughs> <11 years ago>. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right. <laughs> We're still doing it. One sec. Just let me get my phone out here. One sec. We've got checked. No, I'm one. normally pretty good at maths. <laughs> I do lots of maths in my head when I'm running, trying to work out how far it is to get back home again. But um, yeah, so 21 years ago, and I was, we were working out text messaging on the phone, and there were those old Nokia phones, you know, they were really, you had all the letters on the yeah. numbers and stuff. And we said, oh, this would never take off. Really? <laughs> Who would do this? And people didn't use it back then. Even though you could use, people would still call up and it was easier to make a phone call because it could be frustrating, you know. The text. The text. And like, I can remember, like, when I was up until a few years ago, the phone I used to use in Ireland would be an old Nokia. I'd throw the SIM card into that and... <laughs> And I know people who still use that. The 3310, by any chance? Um, I had all of them. <laughs> I, I was a Nokia person, just like I'm an Apple person now. <laughs> you know, and I can't operate the other phones. <laughs> um, I gave the phone to my daughter and I said, oh, can you, can you send a message on this? And she could not figure it out. You know, like everything else, technology, you can give to your kids to sort out for you. Not and they know exactly. Boys, but no. to, to do that kind of text messaging. <laughs> and then it would... And what threw them even more was the predictive text. And that started oh, coming off. Like, people used to freak out over that. Say, no, I can't do that, I can't do that. But when we were on the aeroplane to Budapest, it was a packed plane, and um, Frank O'Mara, who was a great athlete, and he was there as well. He was a good friend of mine from Limerick. He won the World Indoor Championships in 1987 and 89, over 3,000 metres. And um, so I was on the plane, and his brother was on the plane coming out to watch the championships. 
And I remember when the plane landed <laughs> and he was taking his stuff out of the hold in the plane and he goes, WWW, that's the next big thing coming. The World Wide Web. What? What year <laughs> is this? This was 1998. <laughs> <laughs> and so he was predicting that this was going to be the next big thing and, and everybody was looking at him like, he's mad, you know, what the hell is he on about? <laughs> and so it was only little do we know. <laughs> it was only coming around then. But you were still like heavily in the media, especially, and I, well, I, I know you are. What, uh, you said you kind of got away from it because of social media, but did you feel any like more pressures because you were then in the public eye all of a sudden, like for the expectation side of things? Um, I don't think I really felt pressure. I felt more pressure if I didn't perform well. Like, and it wasn't really pressure, but you'd, I think I would be, I couldn't kind of Put it, put it away. You know, I, I would dwell on things too much and well, it's gonna be, in your be face bothered as by well, stuff. Like in yeah, the papers yeah, and, stuff. and you know, you couldn't get away from it. So if you had a bad race, um, or you know, because if the whole country is watching you, and then you've got to come home eventually, and everyone's asking you about it, and and everybody's really nice. And after Atlanta, I had so many, so much post. It was unbelievable. I was like all these mass cards and everything, and you know, like my dad said, nobody died. <laughs> But, um, you know, there was just boxes and boxes. I mean, it was astounding, the amount of cards that people sent me. And I used to go through phases, I'd answer them every now and then, and then you'd get these really sad ones, and you'd be crying, and... Oh, it was... Like what? What kind of... Oh, people would just be telling you stories, and, you know, how much they loved you, and cared about you, and, like, people who kind of, like... It was like they were part of your family, and the whole country. And I, and I would feel like that. Today's walk is situated in Ireland's ancient east. Discover a region of legends and stories, from ancient times to modern day, a place brimming with culture, attractions, festivals and fun. To plan your walking break in Ireland's ancient east, head to the Tales and Trails hub in partnership with Discover Ireland on lovon.ie. Continuing to follow the green arrows, you'll cross a mixture of grassy and stony paths with gentle inclines and local sheep for company. You'll come to the foot of Garino Hill, and while it's only 400 metres above sea level, it's a fairly steep incline to the top. It's worth it though. A small current of stones marks the top. And from here you'll take in the breathtaking 360 views. The northern horizon is lined with the silhouette of the higher reaches of the Wicklow Mountains, including Lugnaquilla and Crow and Mora, while the rich pasture in the foreground reinforced Wicklow's name as the Garden of Ireland. We took a break here while Sonia chatted about the psychology of sport and shared a great story about a recent race with her daughter Sophie. So... Just to take it back a little bit, so when you're training as hard as possible, what, what kind of like training regimes did you have when you're going into the biggest races that you competed in your life? Um, so you talked about the marathon, you enjoyed that one. Yeah, but I didn't mean, enjoy the race. <laughs> so the training is um, the hardest training is probably in the weeks and months before the, the hardest races. So often people will see you lining up for a race and they'll see you on the television at the championships and they say oh you must be training really hard but at that point you're not training very hard you've done all you you've done there. all the training so you would do like i remember in like the mid 90s and i'd have done all my training in april may june i remember in june being running on the track over in in london in teddington and um you'd do a really hard session and then you'd realize that's the last training session for the year now and it's all races now and and i used to love that because the races, you know, were greater than any training that you could do. And then you just had to recover from the races to go on to the next race. And um, I think it's different now. Um, athletes tend to train a bit more through the season. 
Um, whereas I just really got to the point where the racing was the most important thing and it was just one race after another. So it was nearly like off season and in season. Yeah, yeah. And then, then you're in season, season you're just... then you were just racing and recovering, racing, recovering. And um, every now and then you might get to go and do a 10 mile run, um, do maybe a few 200s. We often did a hard run back to the hotel after a race. A what? A hard run. <laughs> like five miles you'd <coughs> one after go. the race. After the race. So you'd be going to these different stadiums in Europe used to do the um, European season you'd call it and run in. That's preparing your body. What about preparing your mind? Was there much talk about that back then? Um, not a whole lot really, no. And I think I was lucky because I think I was good at that. I was good at kind of taking myself away you know if there was a race coming up I could just focus solely on that and forget about anything else that was going on in my life you know if there was you know stuff going on at home or you know it was you know if anything at all I could just block it out and because it was just the race was the most important thing and did, did you have any practices or was it just as you said like um, utter just throwing into a side yeah, but just throw things aside and just uh, and then forget about it, you know, and then be reminded of it a few days later. But um, I think one of the people who, you know, had a big influence on my career was Kim MacDonald. He was a manager and then he coached me a bit as well in um, when I was over in Teddington. And Teddington was a great place for me. I went there in 92 after the Olympics. And because I like to run a lot on the grass and not on the road and, you know, up to that point, even when I was in college in America, a lot of the running I did was on fields where you would just do laps and laps and I went to Teddington and there was these royal parks over there so there was Bushy Park and um, Richmond Park and then all connected with the River Thames and it was just this huge mass of space to run in and so all of a sudden I could run a lot more a lot freer and really enjoy it Um, but Kim he also was someone who kind of made me I suppose a bit more decisive in my racing and you know he would say make me believe in myself a lot more as well and you know because I used to tend I could finish I could always finish fast I could always do a fast last 200 meters and I would tend to run around at the back of the field and then just do a big sprint and catch nearly everybody but not quite everybody and um, he said well you're never going to catch everybody if you're giving them all a head start so you know good point <laughs> you know because you, you, if you're in range then you got a better chance right okay i got to keep up then um so one race in rome i ran a mile one time and he said to me you know this is the pace they're going to be running 65 64 65 seconds a lap so just get out there and stick with it for as long as you can and it doesn't matter you know if you if you can't come home strong and you don't win the race you know it doesn't matter at least you've tried to run it a different way and you find out you know, how, how you can react to that. And so it turned out I, I finished fourth in the race. I ran an Irish record, which, oh no, it doesn't still stand. I've run fast since. In, yeah. So this was in 1993, I think it was. Um, and um, so I ran 4.22 for a mile and um, finished fourth. But I by doing that, I got a lot more belief in myself. And, you know, I thought, right, I'm going to do that again the next time and I'm going to go a little bit further. And, um, so be a bit more yeah. strategic about your races. Yeah, yeah. rather than, because if, if you go out there and you keep up with the pacemaker and you're uncertain, there's always a little bit of fear and doubt in your mind. But then once you know you can do it, then you don't have that fear anymore. And you think, no, I can I can actually do this and I can finish as well now. So you just it's, it's just trying to find all the pieces to the puzzle and put them all together and uh, go out there and 
as they say these days, execute the race. <laughs> <laughs> and in those last, like, say, couple of hundred metres, I remember the 1995 one, the 5,000 metre, like, you were second. And, like, how, like, what was your mental, like, state in those last couple of hundred metres to go, I can take, I can overtake this? Um, well, I think in those races, I, I mean, at that point, I'd run so many races and against the same people over and over again that you knew I knew chance. once I got to a certain point in the race that there's, you know, it would be very difficult for me to get beaten you know I would just have to you know because no matter how tired I was even if I was having a bad race I could still run a, last, a fast last 400 meters so I never had any doubts about that I just knew you could always do that um, it was just kind of getting to that point in the race and, 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 and being in contact as well because if you're not in contact then it's very hard to kind of I suppose change your mindset from running lap after lap to all of a sudden okay this is a race here now over 400 meters and you, know, you have you gotta, to go for it. You, you just change. It's amazing how you can actually r start to run 10 seconds quicker over 400 metres than you were going for the, you know, um, 11 laps previously. And it's like your whole mindset changes and you get this new energy and you can just lift and you know, get yourself it, yeah. around. And you, you, you come into the straight and 50 metres to go and, you know, you, you get the wobbles and your legs are getting a bit... <laughs> the lactic acid is building up and the, the finish line isn't get, isn't coming to you as close as you feel like you're going towards it. So yeah, it's, it's a bit of a battle there. That definitely becomes a bit of a, a mind over matter battle, you know. You're Even just... watching those races back, like, I, I'm looking at it going, you've done, like, the majority of 5,000 metres here, and yet you're sprinting as fast as possible towards the end of it. I don't know how you do it, but even that 1995 one was also so impressive to see you sprinting the way home. Yeah, I think that's just, it's just a whole, it's, it's a competitive and it's a mental thing over a physical thing. Like, physically, you can do it, but you don't know how you can do that at the end of a race because you never really practice that in training. Yeah, it's the adrenaline of the race. Yeah. Like, I suppose my lifestyle, it was always moving, you know, so every few months I was always moving, you know, to a different training camp or, you know, if you were, the like, I suppose in the end of the 90s, we started going to Australia ahead of the Olympics. So you'd go there for a few months, then come back to London for a few months. We might go to Spain for a training camp. So you're always moving and... And I kind of feel that way now as well, you know, when I'm at home. Um, I love the fact, like home, you know, with Kira and Sophie and Nick and our two dogs is in Melbourne. But, you know, I, I don't think I could ha live there and, and not come to Ireland or not come to Europe and not kind of feel like you're in the action. You do feel like you're a bit isolated down there sometimes. So it's always really nice to get into the routine down there and have the family lifestyle. I love cooking and, you know, just being organised. Um, but then at the same time, I also like having, you know, a trip to look forward to or adventure, some place new to go to. What do you like at home? You just said you um, like your cooking, you like your regime. Are you, like, you're strict with yourself when you're a trainer? Are you strict at home? <laughs> uh, not really, no. Uh, my oldest daughter, Kira, would probably say I am. <laughs> you know, she thinks we have, like, you know... The, the healthiest kitchen around, you know, there's nothing to eat in this house. <laughs> but um, to me, you know, I can, you know, I, I, I go to the shop nearly every day because you're always missing some ingredient for something. But every now and then I challenge myself and I say, well, I'm going to cook something here today now without going to the shop. And, you know, you can always come up with something, but mo most people couldn't. Like, as, most people in my house couldn't. <laughs> they say there's nothing in the house. <laughs> um, so I do like to kind of create things and, you know, uh, yeah, I, I probably spend a bit too much time in the kitchen sometimes because I take my time and, you know, I just... Something it, you enjoy. It, it's kind of one of those things where, yeah, if, you know, if I'm under pressure to, you know, write an article for the Irish Times and I know I should be sitting down there typing away, 
but you know, no, I need to make a few nut balls over here and I need to cook the dinner for tonight. <laughs> Procrastinating a yeah, little bit. So I can procrastinate a lot <laughs> and put that off by just doing doing stuff in the kitchen and, and then sit down and do it. Um, and then walking the dogs is, you know, I, I love that. You know, it's, you know, it's something that, you know, you're, you're required to do twice a day every day. And, um, you know, it, it gets you out the door every day. And as much as I want to go out for a run, um, it's so much great company now to, to be able to go with the dogs and uh, you can chat away to them when you're out <laughs> and, and going for walks with them as well. It sounds lovely. Yeah. And Sophie's now at the racing? She is, yes. Yeah, so How much of a, not a part did you play in that or did you... Um, well, I suppose play? we were always around athletics, you know, when she was very young. Um, so, you know, sports days and, you know, any kind of, if we were at like the Great North Run or Great Ireland Run, things like that, there was often kids races attached to them. So we would have, of course, encouraged Kira and Sophie to both take part there. And, and Sophie used to love it. You know, she was just, she was really competitive from a young age and probably competitive, you know, against her sister as well. And, you know, even though she was younger, um, she was very determined. And um, she just kind of found her, I suppose, or what she wanted to do was true sport. Um, she did a lot of sports, basketball, soccer, um, tried everything when she was in school um, but then eventually the running kind of took over and um, she has a nice circle of friends that she trains with and you know they get to do little adventures like I used to do um, it seems a bit more exotic down there you know they get to go on they get to go on they get to go on planes when they go to national championships and things like that and uh, yeah it can take a bit more planning and organization but but it's always good fun and you know I suppose now I get to travel with her and um, but I can travel in a much more relaxed way, and so I try and be the the perfect organizer and planner, and you know do things like I would like it, <laughs> put everything in place. I don't tell her because if I tell her, she'll disagree with me. I was just about to ask that: Are you helping her train a bit, or is she kind of? Uh, not really. No. Yeah. While she's here now, her coach has sent me over the training plan, so you know, of course, I know where to take her for training and try and organize maybe to meet up with a few different people because. It's always much more fun to train with other people than you know going to the track by yourself, by yourself. and especially you know when you're when you're young, it can be a bit intense and a bit um, it's a bit too serious sometimes. You know if you're down the track and you know your mother's holding a stopwatch, <laughs> so uh, you know you try and make it a bit of an adventure and bring her bring uh, my dad along to you know have a bit of fun with her and uh, yeah just make it an enjoyable thing and you know you go off and you maybe go to the market on the way or you do something on the way there on the way back Make and it's it. more of a date you know than you know just focusing all on the training has uh, have you raced yet you guys uh, oh we did uh, <laughs> we raced plenty there was we had the last race there it was a few years ago actually <laughs> so and? um <laughs> so they used to in the little athletics they used to have a um a christmas kind of special and the parents could jump in the races and I couldn't quite get close to her over 800 one Christmas. So then I was determined that I was actually going to keep up with her. And uh, we had a 1500 metre race one time. It was within a race in Australia. It was a milers club, time trial kind of thing. And um, we weren't winning the race or anything. We were like in the back of the pack, but the commentators were all focused on this race between me and Sophie. <laughs> and she, she was about a step ahead of me and we're coming into the straight. And I knew that this was my last chance to get past her. And I was gearing up for the big sprint and it was, you know, it's not coming anywhere near as easily as it used to. <laughs> and then she looked over her shoulder and she saw me and she put the head down and it. <laughs> arms started going 100 miles an hour. 
<laughs> and that was the end. That was the end. That was it. She took yeah. it home. Yeah, she won, and I w- I ran about a minute fat slower than you know my best time. So it's not like I was anywhere near competitive, but um, it was good fun. It sounds absolutely lovely. Even those family days, it sounds absolutely <laughs> lovely. Um, I hope you're enjoying those days now. Thank oh, you so absolutely, much. Absolutely, yeah. And I love it, you know, when, when um, Kira and Sophie, Sophie probably comes to Ireland a bit more often than Kira. She's at university in Melbourne now, but I love when she comes here and, you know, I, I do a lot of stuff here by myself. Um, when they're at school, sometimes I'll come over and do different things. Um, so it's just lovely to be able to share it, you know, and uh, do things together. So we're going to continue on up here to the summit and uh, we're going to get to the top and take in the absolutely wonderful views. We do it. Looking forward to that. Let's yeah, let's it. go. <laughs> From the summit, we continued following the green arrows down Gary No Hill. The route takes you on a slight ascent again, alongside dense forestry before you start your descent towards Tinnahili village. It's always important to be respectful of the wildlife and surrounding environment, so make sure to leave the trail as you found it. Visit leavenotraceireland.org for more information. The Tales and Trails hub in partnership with Discover Ireland is a bounty of information on the best walks all around the country for your next short break. From the spectacular Wild Atlantic Way to the serene beauty of Ireland's hidden Harlands, the epic Ireland's ancient east or the surprises of Dublin, you're sure to find a walking break to suit you and your family. Just the break you're looking for. Make sure to share your trail photos using the hashtag LoveandTalesAndTrails. Tales and Trails podcast is in partnership with Discover Ireland. Learn more about exploring the best walks of Ireland's ancient east at loven.ie forward slash Walking makes your break.